So this is the first episode of the second series. Our guest is none other than Jaime Levy Cusi, the senior partner at Hassan's international law firm. Mr. Levy can be described as one of Gibraltar's most influential and most successful business people. For decades, he has advised large public companies on mergers and acquisitions and property companies on acquisitions throughout Europe. He was appointed Queen's Counsel in October 2002 and in 2013 was awarded a CBE for his services to the community of Gibraltar and also for his work in helping to grow and develop its economy. I met him at Hassan's very cool Midtown HQ to ask him about some of the milestones in his career to date. The Gibraltar Federation of Small Businesses is a non-profit organization that exists to help small businesses start, grow and thrive. Get all the info at gfsb.gi. So Mr. Levy, thank you for your time. I like to start usually from the beginning. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the early years of your practice? Yeah, well, I started practice in 72. November this year will be 50 years. I started with Sir Joshua, who was my mother's brother, in Horseback Lane, and we had two rooms and a kitchen. There were my uncle, a clerk, a part-time secretary, and me. Uh, Sir Joshua had started the the practice... uh, number of years before that, about 30, 40 years before that, even more probably. Started in the 40s, so yeah, 30, 40 years before that. And his main life was really politics and helping people. So our practice was very much practice to do with landlord and tenant. Uh, we had a few big clients uh, at the time, but mainly I started doing criminal work. In fact, my first case was very important. I was defending somebody who was accused of st- stealing a live turkey. And uh, he said the turkey stuck to him, so we got him off. But I did a lot of criminal work, criminal advocacy. I did a lot of criminal trials. In those days, were very few lawyers. And uh, sometimes we had to appear in the morning in the Supreme Court and in the afternoon. And then after five, at six o'clock, the magistrate would put down a full trial in the magistrate's court. Mm-hmm. So I used to say to him... Uh, your worship, I'm in the Supreme Court, says, don't worry, what time you finish? He said, fine, okay, we start at six. So it was an interesting time. I learned a lot of advocacy. I learned a lot of the intricacies of dealing with criminal work. But at the end of the day, I was married and crime, as they say, doesn't pay. And I didn't have much to show for my work. I did very interesting stuff. I did a murder case, a manslaughter case, a lot of fraud cases lot of traffic cases. That was how I started. And then eventually I realized that that wasn't going to be my aim in life. So I changed and I started doing local commercial work. So company work, uh, M&As in Gibraltar. There weren't too many, but there was a lot of property development work. And uh, we eventually ended up, I mean, doing a lot of the development at the time. I mean, for instance, I can happily say that I was partly responsible for Taylor Woodrow doing Queensway Key because um, they had made the decision not to tender for it. And then I was uh, in London with Lord Taylor, who was then the president, and George Hazel, who was the managing director of the Gibraltar company. And I was asked, was there anything going in Gibraltar? I explained there was a piece of land that wasn't called Queensway Key yet. There were other things to get rid of. I mean, the NAFI was there, and there were a number of things. And, and the, the president said to the Gibraltar managing director, why don't you actually tender for this? And he said, well, we're not sure. He said, well, I think we should. 
Anyhow, he wrote the letter. Then I brought it and put it into the tender box about 24 hours before the tender finished. They got it and they started building Queensway Key. Then we did, uh, we acted in water gardens. Then, of course, I mean, there was, there was a lot of new stuff in Gibraltar. For instance, I was approached by a very well-known QC for an, a large company. And they said, can we form a captive insurance company in Gibraltar? And I said, of course you can. I went to see Mr. the late Mr. Bautista, who was then uh, a one-man financial services commission on his own. And he said to me, well, the last one that was formed was Rock Fire in the 19th century. So uh, we'll, we'll try and do something together. So we formed the first captives for a very large, well-known English company on the advice of a top English museum. We did a bit of insurance. And insurance had problems because our legislation wasn't too good. So we left. I started a fair bit of trust work. We did a lot of uh, holding companies for big property entities in England and provided proper management and control with proper boards and agendas. I mean, a number of these companies were looked into by the Indian Revenue and their answer was the management control has been perfect. We can't attack it. So they came here for a few days to look at all the files. So it was open business. It wasn't mm. business that was hidden. And we still do a lot of that work. Then uh, fast forward. Well, for instance, one of the things that I, I did at the time, that I remember, was that um, in trust, the perpetuity period was quite sort of vague, 21 years and a life in being or whatever it was. And at the time, Sir Joshua was in government. I approached him to see whether he would agree to a period of, say, 100 years. And he said to me, look, I don't mind, but ask your friend Joe Bussano, the leader of the opposition, if he agrees. So we have it non-contentious. And then that became 100 years. And then fast forward to 1988, then I was retained as probably the lawyer doing most work for the government, for Sir Joe Bussano. And we did a lot of things then. I mean, he uh, increased the size of Gibraltar by 16%. Together we brought gaming to Gibraltar. I had a call from the chairman of Landprox and he said to me, can you get me a remote gaming license in Gibraltar? I said, of course I can. I turned to Javier Chincota who was with me. I said, what is a remote gaming license? <laughs> Anyhow, we soon found out. Landbrook's got exclusivity that brought other people to Gibraltar and gaming was built up that way. When Landbrook's got the exclusivity, then uh, other people waited and they came in. I was the architect of the 50-50 scheme. I mean, it was Sir Joe's idea, but I had to do the documents and I couldn't find any precedent at all. And I looked at some of my uncle's old books and I found a colliery in Rochdale that had a very, very, sort of very oblique reference to something similar. I put together the documents. It took me many, many weeks. And Sir Joe insisted that every single lawyer in Gibraltar would see those documents in case they were advising banks or purchasers so that they won't have a problem. And of course, we send them to everybody, a lot of comments. And that's how, I mean, I haven't seen it for years, because I don't do this type of work. But that is how today's um, document on the 50-50 evolved. We also did Europort. We acted for the Danish company. Uh, we overhauled the financial services legislation. That means I was leading the team that did that. We also, when the new government came in, it was realized that 140-odd European directives had not been transposed to Gibraltar and the British government was being pressurized by the EU Commission and they were actually going to be in fraction proceedings. So Chief Minister at the time, Joe Gusano, called me up and says, you know, we've got this problem, here are the 147 directives, get on with it. So we were very lucky at the time 
a man called Sir Peter Graham, who's now deceased, had retired, just retired as a chief parliamentary officer in England. So he was the, the, the top legal draftsman in England. And he agreed to act as a sole consultant to us. And we actually got all those in about a year and a half or two years, we actually enacted all these European directives. I mean, some of them were very funny in the sense that uh, I wrote an opinion which was accepted by, by whoever it was, the Commission or the Foreign Office, where they asked me to, to opine on whether we could say something on the rivers and streams directive. Well, I said, we didn't have any. Whether I could advise, can we confirm that denationalization of the coal and steel industry would be carried out? I said, well, and a few of those 20 odds and I thought it was going to be made king, but they just, I mean, I, we got rid of those 27. Then there were funny, there were funny um, instances where some of the directives couldn't really be understood. Anyhow, we got them all done. Um, then we concentrated on improving the Banking Act. There was a banking ordinance, uh, insurance services ordinance, the financial services ordinance. At the beginning, I did that with my late friend, Jay Triay, a wonderful lawyer. We did that together. Uh, there was a bit of an argument whether the Brits wanted at the time majority in the FSC. We also drafted the anti-money laundering directive and Robin Cook stood up in a conference and said, you're both as a leader in this. So there was a lot done in that period of 16 years. In fact, you were awarded the CBE in 2013, that's right, for that. You transformed Gibraltar's financial services sector back then. How has it continued to evolve since 2013? Oh, Gibraltar is doing very well in the sense that we really are keeping with everything that is needed internationally. In fact, we just follow what is needed. And I remember after Sir Joe Busano went to opposition, then I was put into a committee to advise on the tax situation. I said that I thought the exempt company had to disappear because it was something that one couldn't justify. I submitted a minority view on that committee. I was then asked whether I wouldn't mind stepping aside, which I did. Uh, and I said, we should go to the OECD and say, look, we're a small country. Why don't you allow us to have 2% for 30 years or whatever it is, and we'll scrap the exempt company. It didn't happen, but eventually we had to scrap the exempt company. And that was it. I mean, I did a lot pre-1988, mm. but mainly on property companies, on trusts, on insurance. Uh, we also, by the way, at the time, Nigel Fitem and I drafted the majority of the Insurance Act for Malta because they saw we did it for Gibraltar and they instructed us to do it. We also drafted some anti-bribery mm. um, and other financial legislation for South Africa. So we did quite a bit internationally apart from here. And, and going on to that, uh, obviously a lot of our listeners will know Hassan's and what we do locally. But how many of your clients, how much business do you do internationally? I would say we do, what, 70% internationally, 65% internationally. We do everything, you know, from uh, project managing large transactions, also, for instance, mediating large trusts, disputes, the last one I'm finishing now is a dispute. Nothing to do with Gibraltar at all. Uh, it's a large trust of a number of billions, and we are mediating between two parts of the family in a Guernsey trust. We're nearly finished, so we do that. Uh, we've done project managing for oil transactions, say in Ghana, in Gabon, 
We did a very large transaction in Norway. So obviously we use lawyers in different parts, but we project manage it. The GFSB Business Podcast is sponsored by Gibraltar International Bank. Talking about lawyers, and again, um, I'm sure many of my listeners might share my curiosity too. So forgive such a basic question, but why does Gibraltar have so many lawyers? <laughs> it's a very good question. I, first of all, I can tell you why I became a lawyer, and then we can perhaps <laughs> go from there. I was scared of blood, so I couldn't be a doctor. And I couldn't add, so I couldn't be an accountant. So I became a lawyer. I think the legal profession, they call it a baristocracy here for for politics, which I don't agree. And the legal profession has been sort of very prominent in politics, and therefore it, it's sort of natural for people to want to emulate that. And there is a lot of work. There is a lot of work in Gibraltar. Gibraltar punches above its weight in everything, politics, in law. The cases that have been heard here internationally are very important cases. And Gibraltar is known as a place where there's a good judiciary, there's a good bar, and I think now people are, are moving more towards accountancy and sort of high-tech and uh, DLT, but lawyers are still still good. We, we have a very big DLT practice here, which is very successful. I don't know what DLT is, but I know that. Uh, so, Jaime, you've been responsible for attracting international banks and businesses to Gibraltar. Is Gibraltar still an attractive jurisdiction? It's very attractive, but not for what it was. If you look at it, most of our big banks have left. And that's nothing to do with Gibraltar. It's to do with the way banks now carry on their business. They don't like reputational risk. So they say, we're making 10 million in Gibraltar. In the profits of the bank, it's nothing. Why should we worry if there's going to be a problem in Gibraltar? I mean, I'll never forget one particular bank. Nobody will know where it is. The European head office manager sent a message to a local manager and said to him, listen, I want to have lunch with your lawyer and you, and I want to tell you a decision we've taken. So we had lunch. And he said, we have decided not to do any more local business. So the manager said, but that's X percent of my profit, a decision. And therefore, we have to do this, we have to do that. And they just cut and left. And that's the trend now. That is the trend. Jersey and Guernsey have a bigger finance industry connected to banks. We don't have that. We don't have big bonds issued from here, etc., etc. And therefore, they are keeping more of their banks than we are. They're near Britain. They've got more of a track record of British people using those banks, although now it's probably more difficult. Banks now become very complicated as institutions. And nothing to do with Gibraltar. They say, Gibraltar's too small for us. We can't put the resources there, but we're going. So, you know, at the time I acted for NatWest when they came in, for Lloyds when they came in, uh, for Lombardier when they came in, for Safra when they came in. We acted for all these people. And then a lot of them have left. But nothing to do with Gibraltar. Well, DLT, it's, Gibraltar's getting a good name in DLT. Gaming, Gibraltar is getting a good name in gaming. Because whilst Malta, say, has 400 gaming licenses, we may have 40. And therefore we've attracted the top people here. And people who've left for Malta are coming back here. So we have a good name in gaming. Now, gaming in itself is under attack, so one doesn't know what's going to happen. But Gibraltar has been very good in attracting the top names in gaming. DLT also, Gibraltar is doing well. We have to try and, and diversify. The Financial Services Commission is a good institution. They regulate well. 
you have the professions. You know, I remember a few years ago I was asked to go to give a, an informal talk to a number of Spanish officials in the Foreign Office. And I said to him, you know, Gibraltar doesn't want a Spaniard acting, coming to Gibraltar and hiding two million euros. We don't need that. We don't want it. We don't. We really are not interested in this. Give us a double taxation treaty and you can have full access. I know they commissioned a report from PwC and they came to that conclusion that Gibraltar wasn't in that space. So I, I set a challenge to them. I said, listen, as a joke, I said, I'll give you £10,000 and you, in cash, try and deposit it to Gibraltar Bank. You give me €10,000 and I'll try and deposit it to a Spanish bank. If I deposit the €10,000, they're mine. If you deposit them, they're yours, the £10,000, but if not, you give them back to me. And they all laughed. And then I know that a few months later, I get a call from somebody who says he was a retired managing director of a Cajalauro who wanted to open an account in Gibraltar. Now then, Gibraltar was a bit smaller in that way. I rang all the banks and said, don't open it for him. Anyhow, they wouldn't have opened it for him anyhow because his story didn't make sense. So they didn't. So he went back and I heard that that's been sent to see Gibraltar. I tell you something else. When the frontier opened, you were, what, seven, eight, nine lawyers in the office? Ten. And Mancos and chief minister said, listen, I don't want to be in the Spanish television for anything. Anything that comes from Spain, you deal with it. Absolutely, you know, arm's length. And in fact, about 10 years ago, we adopted a policy that we would not set up companies for Spaniards unless they had a Spanish legal tax opinion saying that what they were doing was legal. And a number of occasions I met people and I said, oh, thank you, we like you. You have good pedigree, you, you come well recommended, but before we form a company, we want you to give me a view from your tax advisor. And most of them says, are you serious? And we say, yes, and they went. So, you know, mm. Gibraltar is very good for that. I mean, mm. yes, we can be very self-critical, I know, about the Russian oligarchs and all that, but we can be very self-critical. I mean, some of the things that make front page in Gibraltar, Cronin, Colonel, and other papers, would not make a sixteenth of a column in Jersey and Guernsey because they actually keep their problems for themselves. We like to publicize it. For instance, we did do quite a bit of work as a firm many years ago, mainly in litigation for Russian oligarchs before Putin was ever anywhere near it. But you know, that was what we won in the in the human rights court to defend a particular oligarch that this property was confiscated by the government. I mean, I'm sure that whoever has acted for Russian oligarchs in Gibraltar in the last two or three years or when Putin is around have done it very properly. I have no doubt that they would have done it very properly and all by the book, etc. So, you know, I don't think we have to be shy on anything. I think that there are problems in bigger territories than, than here. I mean, we have been brought transactions that clearly must have been for the benefit of people we, we don't even want to mention. And the answer is we do our due diligence. It doesn't stack up. Thank you. Um, next couple of questions are about leadership. Um, you've led Hassan's through challenges and advised many lead- leaders, business and political. In your opinion, what makes a good leader? You can only lead the people you love. If you don't love people, you can't lead them. I think the biggest thing for a leader is to love the people he's leading. And that's the most important thing. And then, of course, a person has to have fire in the belly. He has to try and see a bit into the future, have one blind eye when necessary. 
But mainly, you have to have affection for those who lead, from top to bottom. And that's the most important thing. This place, even if it's so 300 odd people, it's still a family. And we still have people who have problems, health problems, etc. And for us, they're part of the family. And we take care of them because they are part of a family. So really, leadership is mainly loving those you lead, working very hard and not feeling that you're cut above the people you're leading. Mm-hmm. You've got to be with them all the time. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, just a couple more questions. Uh, during your career, you've seen and overcome many challenges uh, for Gibraltar and business-wise. What's your view on the current agreement with the EU? It's a very hard question, but I'll tell you how I see it. I look at some of the big, small international problems, say, we're an international problem, but we're small. And they've been always settled by some form of fudge or compromise. For instance, in the early 50s, I think it was, sometime Tanger became an international city. What does that mean? Nobody knows what it means. But I'll give you even a, a more poignant example. There was a very good man here called Reg Wallace, who was financial secretary many years ago. He ended up as chairman of Abbey National here, Norwich Junior, a real giant of a man. One of these people from England who comes and adopts Gibraltar as his home. Brilliant man, very quiet, humble, very intelligent. He was the governor of one of these islands. I think it was the Gilbert and Ellis Islands. And he said to me, you know, you know what happened there? I said, no. He said, one pavement was governed by British law and the other pavement was governed by French law. So you could commit an offence in one side of the road and it wasn't an offence or vice versa. So we have to expect fudges. We have to expect things which may look worse than they are or better than they are. But it's important. I think, obviously, there are red lines and I'm sure the government have them. And those red lines... You know, I am a product of the closed frontier. I mean, we used to call it Skeletric. I used to go around Gibraltar 20 times in the car when I was 17, 18, wherever I could drive. And he suffered. It was difficult to see. Go to the frontier and hear from the other side that the father or the mother had died. And, and, and you know, it was quite heartbreaking. Well, I started something called the Young ACR, which uh, was to try and help prop up the ACR in government when they were not doing too well with people like the late Douglas Hendridge people like my good friends James Nisha and Asmontado, and with the, the late father Linares, Dr. Linares. When the Spaniards left, we set up tables in the piazza, and a lot of Moroccans came to register themselves as, as, as workers. All of them were painters, carpenters, but mm. it, it worked. And it was difficult. So we have to understand that if there's no, heaven forbid, if there's no agreement, then we have to understand, we have to stand on our own two feet. And knowing Gibraltar, I think, please God, we will stand on our own two feet. Because I think this place is blessed. I really do. I think we are blessed as a, as a country. We are blessed because we get on so well with each other, because we feel for each other. We are blessed. And I think if, if that doesn't happen, uh, we will survive. It's going to be difficult, but we will get over it. But if there's a treaty, I think Gibraltar will do very well. And if that happens... We have to consciously work to benefit the surrounding area. We cannot just think of ourselves. We have to help the surrounding area. We have to ensure the businesses set up there, that, that, that they get part of whatever 
If there's huge wealth coming into Gibraltar, then we must make sure that part of that is shared with the Campo area. It's very important. You know, if one seems to be greedy, then it doesn't help. Thank you. And the very, very final question. What is the business lesson or what lesson do you wish that you'd learned sooner? Say no. I don't know how to say no. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying now. But you have to be careful. Two things. When to say no and more important, how to say no. I know people who don't know how to say no. And I'm trying to learn that business. It's difficult to say no generally, but to how to say no is Mm. more difficult because you feel indignant and you perhaps react in the wrong way. So, and the other lesson in business is that really, as they say, it's 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. People think it's 1% perspiration, 99% inspiration. It isn't, you know, things just don't come, you have to work. I mean, I remember, as I said, when I was doing the documentation for the 50-50, I was 38 at the time, 39, and I had to take the children to to a Pinar del Rey, whatever it is. And I used to come back at, say, 6 o'clock, help my wife put them to bed, and come to the office and work through precedence to see that it, that it worked. So hard work is very important. I still believe, I still get up between quarter to six and quarter past six in the morning. I first deal with my own beliefs, my own religious prayers and study, etc. And then I work till 11, 12 at night. And I think that's very important that because nowadays things are at the push of a button. People think that everything is at the push of a button. And therefore, you know, we need hard work. I must say we have a very hard working people in this place. I'm 71, so I don't know when I'm going to retire. <laughs> well, thank you for saying yes to this interview anyway. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the GFSB Business Podcast this week. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Don't miss any future episodes by clicking subscribe wherever you're listening from. Thanks once again to the Gibraltar International Bank for sponsoring, to my guest, Mr. Levy, and to Matthew Davies for the sound. See you next week.